Hey folks, it's Mark here. We firmly believe that there's no such thing as too much PJ Harvey, which is why our episode on Is This Desire with Vicky Henry is now in two parts. But before we get into that, we are so very, very close, so very, very close to $200. And $200 means that we can finally start looking for a studio to record in. Now, of course, that's going to be a little bit impossible in the sort of short to medium term due to coronavirus. But once all this is over and we can actually get together in a room again and start looking for places, then we will try our very, very best to find somewhere where we can record. But all that takes is you to do something. So go to patreon.com forward slash unsungpod and you can see all of our tiers there for how much you can donate. We've made a long running joke of the fact that our patrons haven't received their rewards yet, but we're actually working on them right now, so they should hopefully get fulfilled within the next couple of weeks. So now is a really great time to get on board. So go to patreon.com forward slash unsungpod, check out the tiers, sign up, get access to our episodes on Friday instead of Monday, so a few days early, get access to bonus episodes, both past and ones that are coming out in the future, and hopefully so much more. And now on with the show. Uh, 2011 is another big one for her. Let England shake. If you read the Wikipedia about this, it says this album came out to universal acclaim. It was actually, it, it got a 10 out of 10 in the NME at the time, which was still a force in British music journalism. I am not the biggest fan of this album. Now, I think one of the issues about this is that I find, I mean, it, it, it kind of muses on war and warfare, but it muses on it through the lens of Englishness. And I think that weird Southern Anglocentricism of it, it really alienates me. Mm-hmm. I find it very off-putting the whole the associate. I'm not saying that she's a royalist, but the associations with royalism and the, <laughs> the empire and the stiff upper lip and all these just it really just turns me off. I, I can't I can't get I can't get drawn into it. In fact, I feel like compelled to push it away a wee bit. Um, also, f- I think it's a really odd choice of opening track. Has um, that got like a glockenspiel or something in it, or like a xylophone or something? Yeah, just the jauntiness of it. I'm Uh sure there's a reason for it, but it just doesn't connect for me. But this album actually made her the first, maybe still the only, I'm not sure, person to win the Mercury Prize twice. twice. Yeah. There are are moments on it. I mean, this has In the Dark Places at number eight. Dark, saturated guitar, these really sparse drums. It's got a very fragile vocal with these incredibly touching lyrics. Um, Our young men hid with guns. Uh, She whispers in it quite a bit. But then there's a moment in that song from 1 minute 35 that I think is probably the best two and a half minutes of her career. From the 1 minute 35 into the outro of the tune it is such a beautiful progression and it builds that that part of that song 
is the only reason I kept this album because this is one of those albums that I'm like I get so little mileage out of it that I would probably have just uh, given it back. But I can I, I can listen to this album. Um, I think when it came out, I saw her in an interview about it, and she was really talking about war poetry and being that kind of on the front lines, like your Wilfred Owen or Sassoon or something like that. And she wanted to to do that, and I think. I know what you mean about the Englishness of it and the connection to royalism and, like, you know me, that's not something I'm down with at all. Yeah. You notice that uh, track three has horns over it? Which is just really That's odd. That's right, well. it does, doesn't what? it? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I also think for her, again, I mean, you can say you're not taking a position, but if you're only showing one side of the story or you're showing up, everything's through a lens, isn't it? So you can't really say you're not. But I think for her, again, I think it's her revealing the emotional side of like conflict and all of that kind of stuff. And I think she was really into that for a while because she did a film where she followed around that Seamus Murphy, that director, when he went to like Afghanistan and all these places yeah. and she was like taking notes and writing about that. So that was her kind of obsession for a wee while was being this wartime poet, basically. It's funny you mentioned that, that video she did with Seamus Murphy because it actually formed the music video for the single uh, Orange Monkey from the next album, Aye. which was the, the Hope 6 Demolition Project from 2016. Recorded in a really weird way, actually. They set up their own studio facility and invited an audience. So the album was actually recorded in front of an audience to try and give it a live performative element or energy, I guess is the best word for it. Before it came out, they teased the track The Wheel on Steve Lamax's show, uh, as well as the title. And The Wheel's actually, I think, a really good song. It's really bombastic. actually love the opening track of this album The Community of Hope. I think it's something that could have been on Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea. So I guess you're whether or not you agree with me comes down a lot to your opinion of that album itself anyway um, but I think it's a really really strong song yeah I did not I mean, like it at all I don't think the album's got that much else going for it but I really do love that opening tune the uh, opening track the is the best song on it for sure and actually when I was listening to the opening track I was kind of like hey, this is not too bad but as it went on I, I, see the whole like choral singing and all that kind of thing I know that that's yeah. expanding the theme of community mm-hmm. but it was doing my nut and actually found it <laughs> I found it quite it was veering into the inane at times do you know what I mean and yeah. like the the brass instruments and all that I can't be mm-hmm. dealing with that well you know her her first instrument was saxophone and then she hated yeah. it she grew to hate it or she- something she grew to hate the sound of saxophone, but then it started to re-emerge around about the time of Let England Shake and that that sort of period. Yeah, I think for you know for me, um, 
letting and shake and the hope six demolition project are t- there's, a, there's, a, there's not an easy way to say this it doesn't sound super dismissive but I'm just going to fucking go for it anyway they sound so quintessentially folky and English that it just is an immediate turn off for me mm-hmm. yeah I just I just I, I'm a fucking Scotsman and I, I hate saying that but like obviously there's a certain kind of music which I just can't identify with on a cultural level and nothing is <laughs> so f- further away culturally for me that includes fucking Harlem <laughs> <laughs> then, then, then you know Middle England uh, folk music and both these albums have that in spades and for me it's like nah you're yeah. alright I'll, 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 you can just, just leave that yeah I'm not into it either man yeah so that's kind of the end of her catalogue I mean a couple of other little interesting tidbits are uh, she in 2014 edited like guest edited an episode of the T- Today programme on Radio 4 where she got to I think uh, did Marilyn Manson not do one as well I think it was by the way th- can, I, can I just say something we'll probably talk about it but I want to bring it up just now like Marilyn Manson's clearly very influenced by PJ Harvey vocally oh, I, would, I would agree with that yeah yeah. I think he's a big fan of hers is he not yeah. um, so I'm talking rubbish by the way he, he edited he guest edited a magazine but they got a whole bunch of people from various uh, avenues of the arts including some that were really like unusual to, to edit uh, these shows and to decide on the guests um, she brought on Julian Assange and she brought on uh, John Pilger John Pilger's a journalist I loved when I was younger and unfortunately John Pilger is that typifies that sort of reductive well-meaning wokeness of being a teenager I think really I loved John Pilger's journalism when I was unwilling to accept any sort of other side to any story and he's a he's a very commendable man he's got some fantastic documentaries especially stuff in Cambodia and things like that in the 70s um, but he is incredibly partisan totally. and he often strays into territory that says uh, disreputable as the likes of the Daily Mail might do on the right mm-hmm. on the, on the right wing I just and got an older as well man it's, it's getting worse you know and yeah, it's, it's, and it's quite annoying it's infuriating because all he does is he, he kind of he ends up strawmanning the, the positions of the left you know I've got a nuanced opinion on say the Iraq war John Pilger does not have a nuanced opinion on the Iraq war <laughs> he does have very good reasons to oppose it but he also tends to so horribly inflate them and Julian Assange I've mentioned many times on the show I don't have much time for the guy um, but I think it's interesting that PJ Harvey pitched her show like that she was very much showing her sort of left wing credentials I mean people had another reason that she was sort of kicked out of certain clubs was because she accepted her MBE member uh, membership of the British Empire which is a sign of your acknowledgement and to some extent uh, condoning of the royal family which I don't think was certainly is another way that I find it hard to relate to her Um, it's also aligning yourself with it isn't it it's like yeah Um, so I think she was really seeking to maybe counteract that a wee bit with this platform in the Radio 4 I'm not sure I don't know, I'm not sure it necessarily worked I think people just en- emerged more confused But then again, she's a complicated person She can have left-wing opinions And she can have other opinions that don't fit with that That's that's totally fair I do. It it, it does jar with me sometimes In both directions uh, I would say though, see for all the critics of her fox hunting stuff I don't think you find many people that are more critical Of fox hunting than fucking Morrissey And she toured supporting Morrissey Long after those happened So I'm fairly... like. I think her her comments about fox hunting are somewhat they're a little bit unfair. I mean, it was during the nineties, okay. I don't agree with them at all, but it was twenty odd years so ago now. So, what exactly did she say? I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the quote to hand. It, I think it was more that she was against t- Tony Blair's ban on it and its role in English culture. 
uh, and the culture of the countryside than she was advocating that we torment and torture and murder these little animals. Um, but certainly it made her no friends. But I do think it's a little bit misconstrued. It was a long time ago. She's certainly not done anything to endorse it since. And I think she has said that she's uncomfortable with taking a position either way in it because it's not an issue that she feels as a musician is relevant. I don't know. I'm not on side with her, but I do think we should maybe all reappraise it a bit. And I think going into a remorse, it's very likely he probably challenged her on it at some point, knowing him. Do you um, want the actual quote? I can give you the actual quote just now. Oh, yeah. Um, so she's basically said she accepted and supported Vox hunting because she's for the West Country. She said, I can't imagine hunting not being there. I was brought up on a farm and so many times our entire set of chickens was wiped out by a fox. If I could have physically strangled that fucking fox with my bare hands, I would have done hunting as a way of keeping fox numbers down and there are very few foxes killed. It's not something I want to see go. Yeah, there you go. So, I can understand why she didn't get invited to a pita party. (laughs) A pita party? Yeah, Yeah, a pizza party. Um, I think what we'll do, like, so we'll, we'll move on to talk about Is This Desire. Hi. As we know, Dave's not here, so Dave's going to send us in a couple of voice notes. One of them is an opinion on this album, um, which we got the gist of, and the other is, is going to be his nexus. But yeah, um, a couple of kind of conversational points before we get into any tracks. Is This Desire marked a distinct drift towards electronics in our music. You could, I mean, there was a couple of little electronic moments that second-hand keyboard appeared on to bring you my love, but it really came to the fore here, and not just to the fore, but it was used in such an extreme way at points. The tones, the saturation, it was very adventurous. It wasn't like safe string pads in the backgrounds of things. It was really quite uh, abrasive. Um, she in two thousand and four was quoted as saying that this project is the one that she's the proudest of. Um, she said it was very difficult to make and is still very difficult to listen to. Uh, she told the Daily Telegraph, which is also known as the Daily Torygraph, which is probably not the right place to have your interviews if you want to try and shed right wing aspects of your image. Uh, she said it's a highlight of my career. Uh, it's the best record I ever made and probably ever will make. Uh, I gave it a hundred percent and probably to the detriment of my own health. Now, uh, to the end of making a case for this as unsung, I will say that Rid of Me, as you mentioned, got to number three in the charts. Uh, believe it or not, the Hope Six Demolition Project got to number one in the charts, I know. which is madness. Uh, this album, by contrast, is this desire. Right at the, I'd say the height of her popularity or at least her reputation only got to number 17 in the charts. Meanwhile, uh, for example, Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea sold well over a million copies. To Bring You My Love sold well over a million copies. This sold half a million copies. So half as much as either of those around it. So I think comparatively, yeah, I think there is a good case can be made. The one thing that does maybe go against that is that the track A Perfect Day Elise from this is our highest chart and single but it's only at 25 it's not exactly sitting in the top like everything I do I do it for you for 16 weeks or anything yeah but I mean taking a little tour of it it starts with Angeline Roses my colour and white pretty mouth green my eyes which is just amazing yeah like um I think you got me into this album actually and I think possibly maybe the first song I heard off it was Angeline as well or it might have been as This Desire. Well, I had I had this album on cassette, and actually the weird thing about having albums on cassette is that you used to have to engage with the album tracks a lot more because you couldn't just ping through them. Um, and so I didn't get used to this, you know, from the standpoint of going straight to A Perfect Day Elise. I got used to this from the start to the end and then back again. 
Yeah, it's just um, it's a great opening to a an album that has a kind of big sound to it because she like obviously it starts off quite soft and then it becomes quite it's very understated big. yeah it's like a, the, the way the bass just slides in about 35 seconds with the piano it's really warm really yeah. soothing actually the organ tone is really soothing I think it's the word I'd use for it I think all, th- all through this album there's a kind of understated warmth to it yeah I love it It's an album with massive tones at points, but it's also got a couple of periods in it where it gets incredibly low-key. It's very dynamic. Um, this tune, I think, sets the tone with, with lyrics like Dear God, Life Ain't Kind. I also think the chorus in Angeline is just a brilliant performance. That's really Yeah, that's what I mean by like the kind of power behind it. Also, I always thought she was singing in a kind of Southern American accent in this song. Yeah, a wee bit. Yeah, You're right. It's got a, it's got like an old country feel to it. It feels like it could be on like a Magnolia Electric Co- Electric Company kind of kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what you mean? Uh, the second tune in this is <laughs> very very different in feel. The sky lit up. It starts kind of tonally and lyrically a wee bit. Just the very opening part of it starts like something that could have been in stories from the city. But then there's this feedback chorus and this really kind of ominous sort of vocal pitch in the chorus that just makes it all a lot darker than that album that was to follow. And I think the album Stories from the City is a response to tracks like this where she could have gone in one direction with them and in stories she goes in the nice direction with them. On this she muddies them all up. She really like sullies them and dirties them up. The the final chorus in the sky lit up, she just shifts up an octave and gets almost hysterical. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like a whale. terrific, really, really powerful uh, decision in the in the writing. Um, it's got a really great staccato guitar motif that runs through it. I think, I think yeah. it's just a kind of extreme tremolo that's on it. And there's also a, if you listen to it in headphones, especially for that last verse and chorus, there's this really dark tom pattern, like drum tom mm. pattern yeah, that totally. comes in. That's so thunderous. It's like it's mm. really, really good, really propulsive. A lot, a lot of the drums in this record are quite claustrophobic sounding. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of Tom work on it. I think this song's got quite an industrial vibe, and actually mm-hmm. the drum mix is really the, the drum mix is really interesting as well. Mm-hmm. It's kind of yeah. open and kind of rattly, you know, and it feels quite disturbing. The whole song feels really disturbing, but not in a not in a like overtly Nine Inch Nails kind of way. Yeah, they took some really big chances with the production on this, and I actually think it's one of the albums that invites the Tom Waits comparisons the most, because that era of Tom Waits that we covered recently, when he started getting into male variations and blood money and stuff like that, where he was taking those weird artistic chances, instead of mixing things in a nice way, he was deliberately mixing them in a nasty way to try and emphasise certain ideas in the song. I also think when she's a, when her performance is like a bit more frantic... It puts me in mind of like Patty Smith or something like that. Elephants, 
Like, I think mm-hmm. Patty Smith's a really big influence in PJ Harvey. You know what? PJ Harvey said she'd never listened to Patty Smith until she read the first her review arse. that compared her to Patty Smith. Her arse. No, she, she, and then Pat, Patty Smith was, She's Patty Smith at was it. actually asked about it. <laughs> um, yeah, you're full so, of shit, Paul. You're full of shit. <laughs> you're at it. Uh, track. <laughs> track three, The Wind, which was another single off this that got to number 30. Uh, it's a very vibey track. She could wash. almost like a trip-hoppy drum beat and it reminds me a little bit of what Portis said we're doing at the time and I don't know if maybe this is one of those moments where she's sort of liked what she's heard coming from somebody else and has tried to slightly appropriate it um, mm. I do think this track sounds quite dated because of the, the, the trip-hoppy drum thing but yeah. that's not to say it's not a really really good song I really like it It's even the fact that whispered vocal it's only in this one song but the the sense of it lasts throughout the whole album it adds a whole textural layer to this album that I think just doesn't go away it, 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 feel, there's a, it makes the whole album feel a lot more intimate it gives it a whole lot more atmosphere there's also if you, I don't know if you've, you've noticed but if you've listened to this on earphones in the right hand you'll hear like this weird screaming noise like mm-hmm. a woman's wailing screaming shouting thing that she's done yeah Just as a sort of extra element to make the album, that make the song less symmetrical and a bit more unsettling. It's, uh, um, see the strings, man. It reminds me of Depeche Mode. That's totally flood. Like, yeah, a hundred percent. Because he yeah, did, he did violate right? So yeah, it's clearly yeah. him. It's kind of creepy. It is indeed. I, I mean, this album for me, if I was to sum it up, I would say creepy is probably the strongest overall theme. Um, My beautiful Leah, track four. Like it's got, a, it's got a kind of sequence to drum pattern on maybe something like a Korg Volca beat or something like that, something equivalent to that, um, but it's overdriven and it just makes these really squelchy compressed noises yeah. mm-hmm. so, Would you come around here sir Black hair brown eyes My beautiful She was also The bass Instantly, completely overloads in this track as well. There's again that kind of ketamine creepy vocal drawl, and I, it's another one that nods to the sort of extreme Tom Waits experimentations. Albeit, this is a year before he did Mule Variations. You know, she was pioneering this. I, I just think the song is a total crawler. It's really sexual, really dark. Uh, also, there's some very, very subtle and very effective backing vocals that come in right at the very end of it as well. Yeah. Did she come it's like Nine Inch Nails playing a Nick that cave song. It's <laughs> a good analogy. Um, track five, a big one, a perfect day, Elise. Probably the f- 
the second PJ Harvey song I ever heard. So Sheila Niggy or Sheila Niggy on Dry was the one I got in that compilation. And I remember when the video for A Perfect Day Elise came out. And actually the video always reminded me of this weird hotel in Oban in Scotland that overlooks the water. Um, it, it's, I can't remember the name of it, but it's sort of trapped in the past, this hotel. It's 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 perpetually like an episode of like Faulty Towers or something like uh, that yeah. inside. <laughs> yeah, it, it's got this really carefully chosen bass guitar in Perfect Day Elise that comes in every second bar and just sort of picks up the pace without having to run through it all the time. Yeah. And I just love the way the chorus blooms the backing vocals and everything in the chorus it just opens out it's tremendous tune Maybe the only other one by PG Harvey that you can sort of realistically fit into a, a, a set as well if you're putting records on in a club. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a nice um, crunchy guitar that's quite low in the mix that I like, and the drum work is really nice too. It feels dead claustrophobic in places, which, like, like I said earlier on, is a thing. Yeah. And that hook that leads in, that, that, that hook, the vocal hook that comes back a few times in the song, is just a, it's a really clever bit of writing in this song. Yeah, that high pitch backing vocal, I think, is another hook as well. You know, that. Yeah. Oh, that's really, lovely. Really well. yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Track six, Catherine. Um, this is this is the part of the album where it goes into this very subdued phase. A, such a subtle tune it's like it's been played in fog at night about 100 <laughs> yeah. yards away it's very very some muted about it or yeah something. it really is it's like there's a blanket thrown over it and it, it really pulls you down into the album you know you have to turn it up She adopts a really interesting voice in this one. This is the one where I think on this album she overtly adopts a character, a persona, because it's not her voice that yeah. she's singing this in. It's got a slightly different accent, a slightly different sort of timbre to it. It feels like a little bit of role play. And that kind of feel is continued into Electric Light, seventh one, which another very understated track. Really avant-garde this time though, jazzy, postmodern, minimalist, and artistically a very bold move. So the album really I, I don't want to say it, it doesn't sag but in the middle it holds you in place it pulls you down it doesn't Aye. it doesn't give you any payoff of any big moments mm-hmm. at this this stage and and instead of giving you a big burst out it eases you back in with a track called the garden for number eight kind of slowly wakes up a little bit comes back to life the piano that opens up the chorus of that is brilliant 
the song doesn't really have a lot of like tonal elements in it and when that guitar uh, when that piano comes in in the chorus it creates an, a sort of slight air of menace or pessimism maybe um, over that neutral backdrop just in, in the chords that she's chosen I think it's, it's a really clever bit of writing um, and gutsy to go for that long with such a subdued section of an album and also with this tune to be so subtle in its delivery but kind of blows all that out of the water with Joy at number 9 which is about as close to Nine Inch Nails as PJ Harvey's ever going to get mm-hmm. Would have left these red hills long ago if not for my condition yeah. uh, Really industrial in its feel the vocal delivery in this is anguished at points it's so extreme yeah um, has a lot of like really interesting kind of contrapuntal percussion in it as well like drums that come in in a really kind of asynchronous pattern it, it does fit but it just kind of it's 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 offset in a weird way especially panned to one side and the bass in that tune is incredibly feral it I think really it's ugly sounds a little bit dated because of this keyboard the keyboard sounds but all the layers of the keyboards are mm. like so intricate and really well composed it's very much of its time and I don't really mind that yeah and I think maybe one of our best tracks ever and certainly I think my favourite on the record is the track The River at number 10 and they walked on the dirt and they walked from the road till they came to the river which is a melodic relief after that sort of really dark period and the kind of caustic sound of joy it's this Really beautiful, melancholic, warm, but still, it's a little, it feels a bit like a murder ballad. It's got a little bit of that to it, um, somewhere between Nick Cave and Richard Marks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, yeah, I see what you mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, or Chris Isaacs, maybe a more flattering comparison. Yeah. Um, but the, the way the guitar feedback, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd written a bit of uh, a review that sounded like the guitar feedback shimmers afar against an undulating rubber wall of low end. I don't think you should be whacking okay, off in front of us right now, Christopher. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> it's obscene. This is not Zoom. Um, <laughs> I also think the use of the brass in that is great. We, we yeah. spoke about the misuse of brass and the likes of Let England Shake. I think the use of brass in that is perfect. Absolutely. Really yeah. brilliantly judged. Um, track 11, No Girl So Sweet. Sounds initially like a track by the band Garbage that just turns into like an evil twin. <laughs> it's got that garbage intro, which I kind of hate, but the fact that it goes in such a good direction after that makes it worth it. Um, it gets progressively angrier throughout that tune as well, it, especially given that the initial sort of whimsical percussion eventually gets eclipsed by all the layers of the other stuff coming in over it. Yeah. 
was really saturated in it. I think it might even have been DI'd in that sort of territorial pissing style. And that final riff change at the end with the, the root notes change and start ascending, it's that's fucking brilliant. It's, it's yeah. a, a very violent song. And then, yeah, we finish on this the kind of sultry, languid blues of the title track, Is This Desire? Question mark. Cool their desire and dawn said Let's build a fire There's a weird technique in that song because her voice, as it gets higher, it gets fragile. She does this thing where she doesn't try and nail the notes. She lets them wobble. But yet she also never abandons the kind of husky or lower delivery. It's a weird duality because the voice is going up, but it remains quite bassy. It's a really strange technique, but it gives it a real distinct character. Yeah, so her voice is stunning on this whole record. Uh, it's really, really great on this song as well. And the melody, she's, she picks some unusual but really good melodies, like on this, on the garden, on electric, on electric light, um, kind of really kind of dark and sort of serpentine almost, mm-hmm. you know. Is this the way it ends as well it just kind of it, it kind of threatens to build up and then it doesn't and yeah it's kind of cool so uh, i absolutely love this record i think it's i think made a pretty decent case that it's her unsung record certainly it's better than the later ones which may have underperformed but i don't think are anywhere near as good or as pivotal um it's her favorite uh the charts didn't recognize it certainly the awards People didn't recognise it the same way they recognised some of her other stuff. And I know that it's had a huge influence on people. Just actually, coincidentally, before we started recording, uh, the artist Catherine Joseph from Scotland, who's a, a really great female performer in her own right, Catherine Joseph had coincidentally tweeted about how she loved every single thing about this album. It's one of her, her favourite records. It's got a huge footprint amongst musicians, maybe? Yeah, I think I think PJ Harvey fans and musicians love this album. Mm-hmm. So, for me, definitely in. Yeah, for me too, definitely. Um, I've got a personal co- connection to it as well, I think. It was the first of her albums that I got into, so I'll always have that kind of relationship with it. But yeah. um, the other day when, when, we, when we were talking about is this desire where she's to bring you my love I listened to bring you my love and I was like whoa it's like the best and then when I put on is this desire I was like god that is so good as well in a different way it's just so evocative it's like gothy in a weird way or something you know kind of I love it to bits and I definitely think it deserves to go in so before Mark gives his verdict we'll play Dave's voice memo all I know is that Dave was overall positive so i'm assuming he's a thumbs up so let's hear from dave all right guys technology has truly defeated me today but hopefully you get this all right so um yeah pj harvey someone that i don't know somehow i don't know if she passed me by she just never quite managed to hook me in at any point in the past not sure why because it sounds like the sort of thing i'd be into I always loved that song, This Mess We're In, the one with Tom York on Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea. And then, yeah, funnily enough, going back to all her stuff, it appears that I've probably listened to Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea a lot, somehow, but don't remember ever actually listening to it, because I put on Big Exit and I thought, oh, 
I, I know this song, this is great. And then Good Fortune came on and I was like, oh, this is great as well. So I really like that record. Her earlier stuff, I'm not such a big fan of. I can see why she was really cool and why it was really influential. But I don't know, there's something about her voice sometimes gets a bit melodramatic or something. I don't know. Yeah, just those first two or three records not fully sold on but have to say uh vicky that um is this desire absolutely fucking belter really good i mean there's some bits on it that i'm like oh this just sounds a bit too much like nine inch nails or whatever but overall i like the fact that she's trying that shit the stuff that is more trip hoppy and more ethereal i like i think the wind is amazing i think the garden is amazing i think joy's really cool the big hit, A Perfect Day Elise, I could take or leave. But, I mean, overall, I think, in comparison to her previous records, I love the dark shit that she's trying. I love her voice. Although, is she put, like, does she put on an American accent all the time? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I, and it does appear to be that this record just didn't quite get the love and doesn't get the love looking back, but she's the one that's most proud of it. Uh, or it's the one that she's most proud of. I also spoke to my friend and like the wonderful musical artist Catherine Joseph because uh, funnily enough she posted today just on her Facebook page how much she loved this record and I was like oh that's a coincidence so I gave her a shout and said oh I'm recording well I was supposed to be recording a podcast about this record tonight do you have any sentences words can you tell me anything about it just like why why you love it and she just said all I have is every second of this record is fucking perfect in every fucking way so that's what Catherine Joseph says. So I mean, you can't really, can't really disagree with that. Anyway, right? Fuck technology. Love to you all. Bye bye. All right, there you go. Heard from Dave. It's a thumbs up. Mark. Good album. Yeah, I think it should go in. How did you feel about it in comparison to other records? Was there anything you preferred? Mm, it's hard to say. Uh, like I said, I find it quite hard to connect with her stuff. Um, I don't know why on, a f- on first blush some of it feels a bit cookie cutter which is a weird thing to say but once you dig into it you can hear the cleverness or adventurousness of Sonic of like you know, Sonics in general I guess and this one is a good example of that I think. yeah especially in this one yeah um, and that's this is why I think it's the best compared to a lot of the other ones to be honest mm-hmm. I did like stories from the city stories from the sea as well I like that a lot but it is it's a completely different well this is the dark record right this is like the nighttime album and that's mm-hmm. the daytime record and yeah I'm quite a dark dude, so this this one gets my vote for sure. <laughs> cool. Well, Vicky, did you manage to get a Nexus? I did. Who's first? This is the first time we're seeing Nexus tonight. Will it be the last? What do they have in store for us? Not good. Why am I here? You're in the Nexus. This is the Nexus. For you, this is what you want. It's I think, technically your first, Vicky. 
Because it's kind of our choice uh, By the way, the Nexus this week was my choice It was in the pot, it was mine And it was the Pepperami guy uh, For Pepperami is a vaguely meat-related snack <laughs> in, the, in the UK Stored unsettlingly at ambient temperatures And denser than uh, the leg of a chair Yep, I believe he's called the Pepperami animal, right? Yeah, he is. that's right That's yeah. it, right, okay, right so, in 2004, which was around the release of Aha Har, EJ Harvey was photographed by Mary McCartney, the photographer daughter of uh, Linda and Paul McCartney. Don't know if you've heard of them. And she's also the co founder of Meet Free Monday. <laughs> that photograph was later selected by Mary McCartney to appear in a section of a retrospective exhibition of her work at the Lowry in Manchester in 2013. Now, that coincided with Greater Manchester's Radical Women Month. So they had like this section of the, the exhibition that was dedicated to radical women. So they had the likes of, obviously, PJ Harvey, uh, Beth Ditto, Helen Mirren, Vanessa Redgrave and Tracy Emin, who Mary McCartney had actually convinced to dress up as Frida Kahlo and that's a really cool photo if you look it up. Uh, I just think that Tracy Emin's got such an interesting face. Um, Tracy Emin's obviously a really well-known British artist, uh, known for her kind of confessional work and I suppose and there's kind of parallels between Tracy Emin and PJ Harvey in, in a way. But anyway, she's actually really raised loads of money for various charities over the years. She's really, really active uh, in raising money for charities. She creates original works that she then auctions and, and stuff like that as well. But she's really uh, a long-time supporter of the NSPCC. I think Tracy M and herself had quite a troubled childhood. So she's been really active with the NSPCC in 2014 she actually bought a Paddington Bear statue for 17 grand at an NSPCC auction and then donated it back to them which yeah. I thought was quite nice yeah. but anyway um, now, how are we going to get rid of this Paddington Bear statue <laughs> we, we thought she'd taken it and now she's given us it back I don't fucking want this <laughs> um, the NSPCC their media campaign um, is designed and managed by a creative company called Atomic London and Atomic London are also responsible for a 2018 revival of the Pepperami Animal into a more mature brand mascot <laughs> after research revealed that the old Pepperami Animal was too resonant of 90s lad culture. <laughs> <laughs> It was too anarchic and disruptive, so they tried to give it a more mature um, oi, oi. kind of a, a, a revival. Yeah, so yeah it had that. It had that lad voice. Said, all right, way, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, um, right, I'm going to go next. I'm aware that we might uh, uh, end up actually clashing with David and not know it. So if we yeah, do clash with David, <laughs> that could be a disaster. Also, I'm aware that David's next is apparently incredibly long, so I'll try and hurry up very quickly. PG Harvey played. Mary Magdalene in the 1998 film The Book of Life which was directed by a guy called Hal Hartley and written by him as well I think Oh I almost of, went down that route <laughs> Which is a modern retelling of the story of Jesus. Jesus comes back to start Armageddon and then decides that folk are alright Anyway Mary Magdalene appeared in Marvel Comics The Easter Story in 1993 uh, That edition of Marvel Comics, bizarre 
was written by Louise Simonson or Simonson. And Louise Simonson or Simonson was actually one of the co-writers of the very, very famous arc, The Death of Superman in 1992 and 93, which so is actually a, a comic so famous that it made like the nighttime news when uh, DC decided to kill so Superman. Good. Funnily enough, by the way, Mark, did you know that uh, the, the second of the three books in Su- The Death of Superman was called Funeral for a Friend? Yep, I did know that. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Uh, in those comics, at Superman's funeral, if you look, you can see Bill and Hillary Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Bill, uh, by the way, just another aside, and I tried to connect this way, but I couldn't get it to work. Um, Bill and Hillary Clinton and Al Gore and Tipper Gore are also secret characters in NBA Jam that you can unlock. Wow. Yeah. Um <laughs> Anyway, so Bill and Hillary Clinton. In 1990 to 91, uh, game designer Naoto Oshima uh, is quoted as saying, if there was a problem, Bill Clinton took action right away. I saw that American attitude on TV. That was the kind of character I wanted. And that was when he was designing Sonic the Hedgehog. (laughs) 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 So, so, genuinely, Sonic the Hedgehog is based on Bill Clinton. What? Right? Uh, that's the, the, straight from the horse's mouth. Now, Sonic came out before he became president, but at the time, I think he was like governor of Arkansas or something like that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, in the Archie Comics series, Sonic the Comic, there was a character called Echo the Dolphin. We've talked about Echo the Dolphin aye, on the aye. show and what was probably yeah. the best Nexus of all time. Um, <laughs> but also, uh, Sega released a pack of games called Sonic's Ultimate Genesis and that featured the game Echo the Dolphin. Uh Echo the Dolphin the game was published by Ocean Games and in 1996 Ocean Games released a first person point and click called Animal starring the Pepperami, Pepperami Animal I tried and to it, do that and it's humming uh-huh. yeah uh, so we play Dave and then you Mark yep alright here's Dave's Nexus settle in okay here's my Nexus normally I'm looking into Chris and Mark's eyes at this point and I can see when I'm going too far but let's see how this goes So, PJ Harvey, in 2013, no, 2014, sorry, guest-edited BBC Radio 4's Today programme. The Today programme has had quite a few interesting guest editors. They They have three or four a year. And in 2005, one guest editor was Queen Noor of Jordan, uh, the now widowed Queen Dowager of Jordan, formerly married to King Hussein. Uh, Queen Noor of Jordan, earlier on in life, before she was married, went to Princeton University and uh, studied architecture and urban planning. While she was at Princeton, she was also a member of the school's first team in ice hockey. Princeton Tigers are the ice hockey team. She was part of the female team. The male team has put forward several uh, alumni who have gone on to take part in the Olympics. Uh, one of whom was Robert Livingston, a defenceman who played with Princeton between 1928 and 1931. He then went to the Olympics with the USA and won a silver medal. Robert Livingston <laughs> was married to Joan Ordway in uh, 1942. Joan Ordway was granddaughter of Lucius Pond Ordway who was a founder of the company that became 3M, the company that makes scotch tape and post-it notes. First of all, did you know that scotch tape um, is named after a derivative or a pejorative term 
uh, for Scottish people, meaning that we're tight and parsimonious, uh, the name came about in 1925 when uh, Richard Drew was testing his first masking tape to determine how much adhesive he needed. The body shop painter became frustrated with the simple masking tape and exclaimed, Take this tape back to those Scotch bosses of yours and tell them to put more adhesive on it. The name was soon applied to the entire line of 3M tapes. Uh, also, in the 40s and 50s, Scotch tape was uh, advertised by a cartoon boy in a kilt called Scotty McTape. Anyway, in 1996, 3M, which had also been uh, making cassettes and videos, uh, exited the magnetic tape business, selling its assets to Quantigy, which is a spin-off of the company Ampex. Ampex, who have been around since the 40s, but their first success was a line of reel-to-reel tape recorders, which was developed from the the German wartime magnetophone system, and that came around because Bing fucking Crosby told them to. Bing Crosby apparently has a huge part to play in the development of audio tapes. If you go back, he was an entrepreneur and involved, one of the first people to get live shows recorded, and he was actually heavily involved in the uh, development of specific tape formats. Um, Ben Crosby also had a big interest in sports, and from 1946 until his death, he owned a 25% share of the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Pittsburgh Pirates play in the National Baseball League and quite often come up against the Seattle Mariners. Uh, The last time they played was on September 17th, 2019, and I don't understand baseball scores, so I don't even know who won, but they definitely played. Anyway, Seattle Mariners are sponsored by Jack Link's Protein Snacks, which is a beef jerky. Jack Link's Beef Jerky formed made in 1986 and in 2014 they acquired Unilever's meat snack division which includes Pepperami. Pepperami of course their advertising mascot is the Pepperami animal. Anyway there you go long enough. Oh oh Jesus sorry. Wow, what a ride. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Mark, you better, I mean, we need to try and go over that. So, Mark, uh, whisk us through. Okay, cool. Um, so, we've spoken about how PJ Harvey's musical soulmate is John Parrish. Well, he's got a sister called Sarah. She's an actor um, who's been a lot of stuff, a lot of British TV. Started off in the bill, but she's been in things like Merlin, Merlin and Broadchurch and Doctor Who. She's also the series regular on a TV, an ITV detective show called Bancroft. And Adrian Edmondson is also a regular on Bancroft. They've often shared scenes together because like, they both are detectives on that show. And Adrian Edmondson was the voice of the Pepperoni animal mascot. Yes, that's he a good, was. That's a, that is an incredibly efficient and tightly yeah. packed nexus. That is brilliant. Like, pep, like Pepperoni? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow, okay. Good job, Vicky. That was a total pleasure. Uh, the last thing that's going to happen here is that Mark is going to tell us what we're doing next week because we're doing something a wee bit special and then you're going to help me pick the thing out of the box for the Nexus. Mark, what are we doing next week? Yeah, so next week we're going to do our first ever three-way um, triple threat for, <laughs> for, uh, for the Dylan to escape fine. I mean, the, the three-way thing threw you there. So yeah. you, you totally undersold the reveal after the gap of three-way. Um, we're doing it. Hey, everybody, we're doing a Dillinger escape plan triple threat. 
where we all pick a different album and then fight it out, not just get after each other. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have a three way. You never know. Dillinger never Escape know. Plan threesome. <laughs> It's an emo threesome. The thing is, like, I really wanted to say triple threat, and I don't know why I didn't say it there to begin with. Freudian. Um, okay, well, Vicky, I'm going to pick a nexus. So I'm going to stir like crazy, and then you're just going to shout out, Oh! Oh! Okay, got it. Vicky, you're going to, this will be backwards, but you're going to have to try and read it. Okay. Okay. Uh- Katie Puckrick and it was by Sadie Bonbons that's a fix Sadie Bonbons (laughs) Sadie Bonbons on Twitter we are going to do a nexus to Katie Puckrick that's the one congratulations (laughs) yeah okay well Katie Puckrick we'll have to explain who she is next week but this has been long enough damn it and I'm going to go and find out what is getting made in my kitchen because it smells delicious how about you guys you're so lucky um, I'm going to go downstairs and probably have a beer with my dad and he'll probably be watching some vintage Celtic and Rangers game. Last night he was watching this vintage Celtic and Rangers game where Rangers beat Celtic 3-0 and won the league. I'm like, why are you watching this? Say this, man. What the hell? You're supposed mad. to watch vintage games where your team won. I don't know. It's a strange man. Um, but this is getting, the isolation's getting to him. I definitely Definitely uh, So I'll probably go down Either that or he'll read the newspaper out to me for an hour So that, <laughs> that'll be fun uh, So that's, Mark, that's about you? exciting evening um, I made uh, pulled chicken tacos So I'm going to go eat some of them Enjoy <laughs> Alright guys Thanks uh, so much guys have an, Thank oh, you. It was a pleasure it was Thank great. you great. See you later Cheers bye Bye